Berrettini could do with the first serve here. And he gets it. Backhand return is deep to the backhand of Berrettini, who goes cross-court wide. Sverev raises both his arms. This has been an outstanding week for Sasha Sverev. He's almost laughing with joy now. He looks over to his team. A sort of shake of the head from Berrettini. A warm embrace. I think Berrettini is, at this point, happy enough to accept the great week that he's had. He's won four matches in succession for the second week running, but it's Sasha Zverev who walks off with the title, a champion in Madrid for the second time. Back on the podium at a Masters 1000, and how tough was that? Yeah, it's great, uh, especially losing the last three finals that I played at a Masters event. Um, this is definitely special, and yeah, I, I just want to enjoy this one. You've really taken your game to your opponents all week. How much tougher was it playing Matteo, a player who really wanted to do the same? Well, I think his game style showed it all. Uh, you know, I didn't play anybody this week who can serve 235 on clay and serve 200 kilometers an hour kick serves. Uh, so it's definitely, definitely was a different match. And um, yeah, I'm extremely happy right now. And how much time do you give yourself to celebrate this one before you get into Rome mode? And, and how tough is that to switch to those conditions in Rome? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Uh, but Rome is also an event that I like and I enjoy. So I hope I can... Uh, yeah, I can perform the same way as I did here, and uh, we'll see how it goes then. Feeling good? I feel awesome. <laughs> well done, Sasha. Thank you. Congratulations to Alexander Zverev, the Mutua Madrid Open champion and a Masters 1000 winner again after a three-year wait. I'm Seb Lozier. What a week it has been here in Madrid. Upwards of 5,000 fans here every day in the Caja Magica. That's felt special in itself. Not that they got everything they wanted. Rafa Nadal, the greatest there's ever been on clay, beaten in his own house, outgunned at altitude on a court where the big hitters continue to shine. Two of them in the top 10, making it through to the final, which was watched and enjoyed by ATP tennis radio commentators Chris Bowers and Miles McLagan. The nature of sport is that you're never quite sure what you get. You know, if you go to a, a concert, you sort of know what's going to be played. If you go to the theatre, you know what the play is, even if you don't know how it ends. In sport, it's all open and we can get good finals and we can get finals that maybe leave us wanting a little bit more. This was two hours, 40 minutes of quality tennis. It really was. I enjoyed this one. It was there was expectation. It was wondering, you know, who who would approach it in, in what way. And uh, boy, Berrettini came out strong. He really came out to to win this title. And it was, it was tight. It was dramatic. There were there were chances for both. Perhaps more chances for for Zverev early on. But uh, Berrettini stood for, firm and uh, he played some impressive tennis. I mean, the firepower on the on the serve with the forehand, and, and it was good to see him mixing. Uh, Mixing it up with the slice on the back end. I know he's used the slice a, a fair bit this week. And uh, I think um, so often we see matches where players are just going toe-to-toe -to -toe and, and, and perhaps not changing their game. It was nice to see Berrettini looking for, for different angles. Berrettini's obviously had a very good week. Do you think this is one that got away in the sense that uh, he had his chances in the second set he was just two games away from it at 4-3 uh, and 4-all yeah 4-all he, he played uh, as he did a couple of times he actually played one 
slack game in, in each set. He, he got away with it in the first because he was a breakup, but then he, he missed a couple of forehands and a double fault at four all in the second. And but that's what it comes down to. It's about tennis in those moments, unless you're being sort of blown off court by by somebody, and 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 you can you can cover up that sort of area. When it came down to it, I think he was um, just not as experienced as, as Verev at, at this level. So um, just uh, just faded a little then, and Zverev was able to take advantage. So absolutely he's thinking for all I'm, I'm two games away if I could have landed a, a couple of big blows but uh, it's not that easy to do and, and you know Zverev of course is um, in this sort of form is is relentless and tough to beat and, and a lot of the work that he'd done early on in the match would have taken its toll on, on Berrettini so that that has that effect at those crucial moments. So Zverev had a tough draw as he came in he had a bye in the first round he then beat Nishikori Evans who's in great form at the moment Nadal and team all without dropping a set. Then he dropped a set in the final, but came back. I mean, where does this place Sverev now where he wasn't at the start of the week? What gives, I think, some security, a lot of confidence for him, of, of course, because he, he came in on the back of Munich, which was uh, far from his, his best uh, performance, but he's got the taste of back-to-back -back matches. And, and I always think confidence is two parts. It's how you feel in yourself, but also how your your competitors, how the locker room view you, and they will say, well, okay, he, he's back playing some good tennis again. He's, he, he's, he's certainly in form, and um, you know, he's right in the mix. I, I don't put him, you know, going forward, I, I still have... In, in a grand slam, at least the likes of Nadal and, and, and Djokovic, of course, and, and maybe team just just beyond them because they've been there, albeit only once from from team. But but Zverev, you know, I've always thought that clay's his best surface, and uh, you know these courts, well, they're they're all bouncing up high, so he, he's certainly uh, in any mix. So would you actually go as far as to say that going into Rome and Roland Garros, Zverev is the fourth best player? In, in the men's after Nadal, Djokovic and team? I think so. Of course, the, the other name in the mix is, um, is Sitsipas, who's played some really good clay court tennis and showing some... And won Monte Carlo. And won Monte Carlo. But, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, I think Zverev, as I said during the match, when he's in that mindset of moving well and, and feeling confident, he's very, very tough to dislodge. And I think you almost need a game like... Uh, like Berrettini with the the huge power to put him away but um, you know with that extra confidence and, and perhaps a little bit of relaxation it's going to be tough to do so y yes I, I would to a long answer to your question but yeah probably fourth joint fourth, fourth with Sissipas yeah well it's been a very good week for Sverev and you have to say that uh, certainly after the wins he's had this week and with uh, this final that he is certainly in the frame for all events he plays it's an excellent week and i'm sure he will look back on this week as one of the best in his career thanks to chris and to miles more from them to come a little later first let's learn a little more about italy's number one madrid finalist matteo berrettini whose injury woes for the moment at least seem well and truly behind him Ladies and gentlemen, playing at the NITO ATP Finals for the first time, the world number eight from Italy, Matteo Berrettini. Matteo Berrettini has been part of the top 10 since October the 28th, 2019, and qualified for the NITO ATP Finals that season. Even so, life at the top is still something the 24-year-old Italian is getting used to. It's different, definitely it's different. 
starting the year that you're 50 or 80 or whatever, like the year before I was 130, so it's definitely different. Um, you feel that when you're on the draw, like they're looking at you like, okay, this, this guy's a seed, so I want to beat him maybe even more. So definitely changed, but uh, I mean, it's what you have to take. There are pros and cons, and you just, I think you have to get used to it. And once you, you play, tournaments and matches, you're going to be able to, to get used to it and to, to get better at it. But does Matteo think it's easier to break into the top 10 or to stay there? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think you should ask me this question <laughs> at the end of this year. But um, it's both like really tough. Like when the, the thing that I can say is like when, when you're not top 10, you're just chasing something that you don't even know like what it is. You're just playing. You want to win. You want to play more matches as you can. You want to get to the finals. You want to win this tournament. You want to get to the semi. I don't know. You're just playing. When you get there and you, you're like, okay, now I got here. What I have to do in order to, to, to be able to be here for a lot for a long time, you're not really chasing like something. Uh, it, it, it's a little bit di difficult and different, but I would say both are really tough. His heart, he points to his box. What a great way for Matteo Berrettini to finish his ATP season with a win in London at the NITO ATP Finals. It is a straight sets victory. It's his third top five win of his career. It's his second win over team this year. And it's Matteo Berrettini pointing to his entire box saying, Thank you for being with me. An hour and a quarter, it's a straight set, 7 6, 6 3 win. Obviously, once you get there, you cannot say, Okay, I'm going to be. I'm gonna be happy if I'm top 20. It's uh, uh, unlike. I mean, unfortunately, it's working like that. So <laughs> obviously, it's not bad at all. Like uh, when I was younger, and I was thinking about myself being top 20, I was like, okay, uh, it could be a nice goal for my career. So now I was top eight, and obviously, I'm chasing to be even better. But. Um, I got there without thinking about it. So I think obviously it's in my head, but I have to work every day and hopefully I, I, I can improve my best ranking, yeah. Berrettini is a trailblazer and amazingly, Italy now has four players inside the top 50 for the first time since 1977. I think something that we should, should be really proud of. Um, all the players are really nice guys. Um, there are also more others like coming, so it's a really healthy, uh, I would say, environment for tennis in Italy. Uh, I mean, there are also a lot of fans, but fortunately last year they couldn't like enjoy tennis that much, but hopefully in the next years we're going to have great tournaments, great events. Um, like I said, the guys are great, Lorenzo, Yannick, uh, Fabio. So we, we have fun where we practice together, we are kind of helping each other to, to reach our goals and I think this is something really healthy and really, really great for tennis in general. For Matteo, motivation is higher than ever. This year sees the Nito ATP finals move to Turin and the Italians cannot wait to be there. Of course, it would be great to be there. Um, it's in Italy. Um, Turin is a great city. Uh, it would be, I think, it's gonna be a great, great event. I mean, London was unbelievable. It was really nice. It's been, 
it's been a, a nice way to, <laughs> to finish the year, you know, like I remember all my team, all my family was there, uh, a lot of people came, it was nice, it would be nice to, to be there in Turin too, but like I said before, I think you have to go step by step. When I got there in 2019, I, at the beginning of the year I didn't think about that, so I think I, I have to think tournament by tournament and then we'll see during the year. With no Grand Slam in Spain, the Mutua Madrid Open is about as big as it gets. And with such a rich tennis tradition here, that makes it a very big deal for the fans and both the current and former players, many of whom continue to be involved, including the former Roland Garros finalist and world number seven, Alberto Berisategui. Mutua Madrid Open is the biggest tournament we have. Uh... It's not ours, it's not the Federation tournament, but it's a, a John Tiriak project and it's, I mean, we are pleased to, to have this such a big tournament here in Spain. It's uh, something that we always dream to have such a big tournament because we always, at least for the past 20, 25 years, we had very good players and we need a, a big tournament like this. Uh, we have a lot of small tournaments uh, I think it's one of the reasons why we have so many players, but we need to have a big one. Uh, we understand, obviously, that we cannot have a Grand Slam, but at least we have a big tournament. And, uh, and here in Madrid, we, we, I think we did uh, that dream true. Uh, I think we are growing up, we are making this tournament bigger and bigger every year. And I think we offer more than tennis here in the tournament. We offer tennis, obviously. We try to have the best players in the world, in women and men, but we offer to the crowd something else that many, many, many tournaments don't offer. There were actually constant reminders of how great Spanish tennis has been for, for the last 20, 30 years because like, there's, there's you working behind the scenes with Feli, there's Alex Correcha doing the interviews on court for sure. TVE, yeah, yeah. there's Carlos Moya coaching Rafa, there's Juan Carlos Ferrero yeah. coaching Carlos Alcaraz. How, how much, of course, how much do you guys all talk and get together? You know, can you do that? Well, we are all friends. I mean, uh, most of us, we. We traveled together, we did a lot of things together, we, we practiced together and uh, it's, it's nice to see Alex, like you said, working on TV or, or Albert being uh, the, the director of the Davis Cup or Feli here, uh, being the director of the Mutua Madrid Open or Ferrer being the director of the, of the Barcelona Open, Bank Sabadell, you know? but uh, it's great, it's great for us because... Uh, we are involved in tennis after after we retire, and I think we tennis has given us a lot, and I think we are in the mood to, to give tennis something back, no? And I think at least helping tournaments like this one or, or other ones or the Barcelona or whatever or Davis Cup, trying to be around and trying to help, I think is is an honor an honor for us, and uh, we try to make it better and we try to do it because I think uh, Spain or the, the Spanish players behind us is good for them. Do you ever get together and play you guys still? Uh, sometimes not much but I, I, I sometimes I play with Albert or, or Alex Correcha but uh, but we have to I mean uh, we have to live usually together or, or in the same city because if you know it's a bit difficult but yeah we play or we play another sports maybe golf maybe paddle now paddle is big and but we we get along we are friends and we go out for dinner and so 
it was a time where we played that we were rivals sometimes, but friends, always friends. You all seem so young still as well, especially, I've got to say, Carlos Moya yeah. and Juan Carlos Ferrero. They don't look a day older than they did. They and play. they're both still hitting with their player. Yeah, Who do you reckon would win now between Carlos and Juan Carlos? Um... Uh, uh, I say I say Ferrero is a little bit fitter, but they're both <laughs> fit. They're unbelievable. You see them, and you see. Uh, I saw them here in the tournament. I saw. I say uh, they are ready to play. They are ready to go on court. But uh, obviously, it's, it's a little bit more difficult than that. But but they are fit. They can play with uh, with Rafa, with Carlos Alcaraz, with uh, Ferrero. He's the coach, and it's unbelievable how they fit. They are. It's not. It's not, it's, it's not the way I am, <laughs> but they are really fit, and uh, it's good to see them how how they are involved in the in the game. The Rafa Nadal Carlos Alcaraz match was it was a great occasion, wasn't it? It was. Uh, we all thought it was going to be more difficult. Yeah. It was a great occasion, but it maybe it was a little bit soon for maybe for Carlos. It was a great day for him. He it was his birthday. Uh, first time he played Rafa here on, on Manolo Santala and Stadium score. It maybe came a little bit early for him, but uh, we all think that he's going to be a big player. How big? I, th- I think he's going to be a big player, but you never know how, how big he's going to be. But I think he's going to be uh, one of the top players, but you never never can say. He's going to be like Rafa, well, that's just major words I think he, that, that's going to be difficult to find someone like Rafa you say big I mean he's grown <laughs> last time I interviewed him was in yeah. Rio probably two years ago and then here he arrived he's probably four inches taller yeah, well yeah, yeah. you have to realize that he's uh, he has turned 18 yeah uh, maybe four years ago he was 15 or 16 or, and and uh, he was still a kid he's still he still is a kid but uh, he has grown he's getting bigger and his game is improving and uh, his mentally game is also improving I th- and I think he's he's going to be a great player and uh, he has just to manage a little few things but with Herrero with being his coach I, and I'm for sure he's he's going to do that great all surfaces too I think for Carlos yeah he can play all surfaces and that's in these days you have to play good in all surfaces in my days you can handle playing only on clay like I did. But today you have to play. If you want to be at the top, you have to play well in all the surfaces. Come on, you're, you're being modest. Um, <laughs> you are. Rafa Nadal, let's just talk a little bit about Rafa. I mean, One of the talk, biggest. talk about someone who's taken clay and taken it to other surfaces. You know, he's won everything. But uh, what did you make of, of Rafa here? It's the hardest clay court event probably for him to win. But he seemed tired. It seemed like that, yeah. The first two matches he played... Uh, very very well but he didn't have in front a big rival like uh, like Esberef is and um, Shasha here he feels like at his home yeah a giant he he won here and I think he he feels good playing here his surf is huge and he doesn't like make you he doesn't make you play well he doesn't make you feel comfortable on the court and that's what happened to Rafa he he started well but at some point for two that ball he missed I think that turned around and since then he didn't he he wasn't feeling he was he wasn't feeling good and you can see Rafa is, 
he's not playing so good uh, for the moment on clay. He in Monte Carlo he lost to Rublev, not playing so good. In Barcelona he won, but he wasn't playing that good. And here he played two good matches, but he didn't play a big rival like like Sasha. He has to improve if he, if he wants to to win another French Open, uh, which is unbelievable. But uh, I mean, if there is one player who can do it. If there is one player he, that can do that, that can turn anything or or not playing his best game and and um, in the next week play his like the best player on clay like he is ever, that's Rafa and uh, he did it last year. He was in he lost in Rome with Schwarzman I think or two years ago, or uh, he wasn't playing that good and then he won French Open again. So. Let's see how it goes in Rome. Let's see if he gets a little bit more confidence. Let's, let's see if he get, plays better, and uh, we hope that he, he can take another French Open, which is <laughs> 13 is unreal, uh, 14 is uh, without words. He's like from another planet, isn't he? What, what he's achieved, it puts into perspective someone like Carlos Alcaraz, who, as you say, just turned 18. Rafa has already won his first French yeah. Open by then. Yeah. The kids that you've been watching all week yeah. playing the under-16s, you know, he was seriously good at 16, you know. Let's talk about that, but also let's talk about your under-16 yeah. tournament. But, I mean, Rafa must put what you've seen this week into perspective as well. He's one of the best players in history. I mean, what he has done is... Uh, uh, he's doing, by the way, he is, is unbelievable. I mean, 20 Grand Slams, 13 Roland Garros. There's, uh, I don't think too many players can do that. I don't think in a hundred years we will see something, someone that wins 13 French Opens. Um, we we have Carlos Alcaraz. We are. Uh, I, I think I'm one of the persons that think that it's not good for Carlos Alcaraz to compare him with Rafa I don't think it's good for him too much pressure for that but everyone here in Spain wants to have the, the new Rafa Nadal and uh, we're trying to see Carlos like that we have to go step by step um, what we try in this tournament is to have uh, the next gen uh, Carlos play the under 16 Davidovic play in the under 16 our tournament Carlos Jimeno, he played under 16, who, who he played here in the quali. So we're really happy with that, with that tournament. And uh, we're trying to have another Rafa Nadal, another David Ferrer, another Ferrero, another Moya, another Correcha, Costa. We're trying to have those players, uh, at least we're trying to help a little bit or put our sun gain on that. But... Uh, we know that it is difficult, but at, at least we're with those tournaments. We have 16 tournaments during the year. Uh, we, we go to a lot of cities in Spain, and we try to 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 make make those players to feel the flame that they live like a professional player at least for a week, and try to live with with his idols, in, in girls and boys. And that's what we are, we try, and that's why we feel that is, uh, we're doing the, the right thing for them. Fascinating, yeah. I, the, the coaching structures in Spain, there must be something in the water that you have so many 
so many players you know in the history i want to finish with a few questions from listeners yeah. and also from some of our commentators back at atp tennis radio um who remember you and <laughs> and and want to ask about that too um Lots of people remember you as the player who hit the forehand and the backhand with the same side of the racket. Yeah, yeah. How did that come about? Well, that came because when I was young, I'm not a big guy, you see me. <laughs> I'm a small guy. And uh, when I was very young, I used to play with a normal... I used to uh, get the grip with uh, uh, like everyone else. But all of a sudden, I start turning around my grip and uh, more Western and Western. Because I felt like uh, doing it that way, I was getting more power, more topspin. And we used to practice always on clay here in Spain. And after a few years, that changed. But back at those times, we played mostly on clay. And uh, on clay, it worked very well. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, 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 one day I realized that I had that grip. It was great for my forehand. For my back, and not, not that great, <laughs> but it helped me a lot because I, I moved around very well on court. And um, always, what I said is that if I, that I was small, didn't have big serve, I had big forehand, no backhand, or or not uh, a weak backhand for a professional player, no volley because I didn't go to the volley, just to shake hands when they finish the match. If I, I always say, if I turn to be a professional player, a lot of, of the players can be, uh, if they do the things right, they can be professional players. Another question that came in recently that I wanted to put to you, and I think it was maybe inspired by Rafa and the fact that he's right-handed, yeah. but Uncle Tony yeah. <laughs> taught him to play left-handed. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a question for, for Uncle Tony as well. Why do you think there are no players who hit two forehands? Well, the game is so fast now that I don't know if it's... I saw the, a video the other day with a kid playing with both hands. I think this is where it came from. Yeah, yeah, and he's, it seems he's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's the future, no? To have a, 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 someone that hits with both hands. At my times, there, were, uh, there was a player who could serve with um, the Jensen brothers. Luke Jensen, he won the French Open in doubles. He could serve with both hands. It's not usual, but uh, maybe maybe it's the future. But I, I think that the, the game is so fast today that, like uh, today, Shasha serve. Uh, he serves 220, 225, 218. I don't know if, if, if you are able to, to, to move your hands so fast to hit Quick. with. Yeah. Uh, Plus, when you go to the net. What yeah, do you do when you're at the net? net? Or you volley with your left or with your right hand? Maybe it's the future. But until today, I didn't see anyone that plays with one hand or the other. I saw Santoro play with two-handed, two hands, both sides. But uh, it's difficult, it's difficult. But who knows, maybe, maybe like you said, Rafa, is, he can play with both hands. In golf, he plays with right hands. In tennis, he plays his lefty. Maybe it's the key why he's so good. <laughs> Final question. I've been watching people play paddle outside my hotel window all week. Is this going to take over the world? It's getting bigger and bigger. Even me, I have a club. A yeah, I club. remember you saying, yeah. I have a paddle club with 16 courts and it's getting bigger and bigger. Here in Spain, it got big. Now it's moving to Italy, to Sweden, 
Johansson, he has also... Yeah, Jonas Bjorkman's got... Jonas uh, Bjorkman yeah, also. Yeah. So it's getting bigger and bigger. And even in France, it's, it's starting to... Let's see, I think the key is going to be if if it gets into the US. If, if that works, then it will explode. But uh, now here in Spain, a lot of people are playing paddle. We have the first sport in license in a sports license is uh, soccer or football second one is paddle now in Spain it has passed tennis it has passed a lot of sports and that means that uh, you know it's an easy sometimes I say game and sometimes I say a hobby <laughs> because it's very easy first day you can play you can pass the ball through the net and you can enjoy the first day in tennis to enjoy and to have fun you, at least you need few weeks, few months, maybe a year, because at the beginning tennis is, is, is a difficult sport. And, and, and paddle, sometimes I say, well, it's not a sport, it's a hobby, it's uh, something that you get with friends. And But as a business, it's really good. It's much more <laughs> better than tennis. <laughs> Next year when I come back, will you teach me to play paddle? Yeah, for sure. We have paddle courts over here. We have indoor courts, we have outside courts. The outside courts are not so good, but... We, we, you have to try it. Uh, everyone that tries paddle loves it. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. Alberto, thank you so much. Thanks great to, to talk you. to you. Great to talk to you. Thanks. Always a great pleasure speaking with Alberto Berasategui. Coming as it does in the build-up to Roland Garros, Madrid always throws up a barrage of storylines. The form of Rafael Nadal is invariably one of them. But what else caught the eye this year from the ATP tennis radio commentary box? As the focus shifts to Rome, Chris Bowers and Mars McLagan round up the main talking points. Well, looking back on the whole week, we've already spoken about uh, Rafael Nadal and uh, also the little cameo he had with uh, Carlos Alcaraz on his 18th birthday, giving the young man a, a lesson. What are the points that really stand out for you from this week in Madrid? Well, it's good to see Alcaraz, as you've just mentioned, but I think um, just showing us that there's, there's still work to do, not not to get carried away with him. I mean, I think he's going to be a good player, but uh, um, there's a big difference between you know an up-and-coming 17 and now 18-year-old. And he's and one of many of that <laughs> yes, age. You know. Absolutely. Um, for, for me, perhaps the standout, Casper um, Ruud, I mean, he, he, he continues to, to go from strength to strength. Such a solid performer, appears to be really hungry and uh, although his draw while he beats it's a pass that, that was impressive um, dismissed Bublik in, in the end but he looks comfortable doing it he looks assured playing at this level and winning matches and, and for me personally someone I've been watching for a while Christian Garin just making a move quarterfinals was was a, a set and a break up against Berrettini and I, I think he's got a lot more to offer there was some real pedigree young with, uh, with Garin and he kind of do you worry that the way Garin lost from a set and three one up and not winning another game might do some damage to him? I'm not so sure about damage. I mean, you, it depends on the reasons for that, which possibly only he knows. But um, you can certainly learn from that and, and maybe take take inspiration from the fact that you've made a, made a quarter final. He hasn't. A lot of his success has come in small events. He's got five titles on clay. I think his game can translate very well into a hard court as well. So looking to see how how that adapts. Dominic Team. He'd taken a break because he said it was just too much uh, that he hadn't dealt with following his U.S. Open triumph last year. 
not sure what to expect of him, and yet he had four very, very good matches, some good wins, and uh, until he eventually ran into the immovable object that was uh, Sasha Zverev. He's a quality player, isn't he? I mean, he, he doesn't forget how to play tennis, and uh, to be fair, a pretty good draw for him, Marcus Garon and then Alex Dimonor, two players that he's going to have a chance to, to work his way in, in, into the match, and then Isner, well, he was focused on that one. It's, it's never never easy. And there's big points at the yeah. big points at the start of the second. There certainly were, and, and Isner was, was, was playing some excellent tennis to, to start out, but he, he stood firm. I mean, he's a fighter, he's a battler. Just hope he's he is refreshed and, uh, and ready to, to go again, because he's you know, he got himself into such a good position, but I always think, you know, winning that that Grand Slam was such a, it's a culmination of a, a, a life's work, and so you've got to hit the reset button and, and go again, and perhaps, hopefully he's done that. I think four matches for him this week was about a perfect yeah. uh, outcome, and, you know, he said he'd been happy with two. Because the other side of that might be, you know, your body's not battle-hardened and can start to, to ache and overdo it, perhaps. Well, and the last couple of years that he's got to Roland Garros, he has been yeah. overplayed. I mean, last year was a freak one anyway, but even the year before, when he had so many matches. Yeah. I'll tell you a name that stands out for me, and that's Dan Evans. Um, because I just, I just love variety in tennis. Mm. For me... You know, I, I love seeing players that play different ways. And Evans, until about four years ago, was just hopeless on a clay court. But he has learned to move on a clay court and he's learned to use what he's got to really great effect. And, you know, beating Djokovic in Monte Carlo, people could say, oh, yeah, well, Djokovic had a bad day, which he did, but Evans still played well. He followed it up with a win. And uh, here he was back at another Masters 1000, and he had some really good stuff. And it took Sasha Sverev, who ended up with the title, to beat him. <laughs> He's a genuine clay quarter, at least this year he is. Again, a quality player. He's a good athlete. Of course, he can he can learn to move on the clay. And, and, and he's discovered... Um, Perhaps that he can do things differently to other players in the clay. He can, he can, he can make things awkward for them, and he's been able to do that in a hard court. But just finding ways to, to do it on the on the clay, and and he comes into this period of the of the year, this the clay court season, with perhaps a little less pressure on him because it's, it's, more well, allegedly his his weaker surface. But uh, so he can, he can enjoy almost solving the puzzles and, and looking to to make players uncomfortable and he's done that and you know the run in monte carlo has given him a huge amount of success it also you know as i talked about confidence being in two parts the other players are now looking at him thinking well you know this, this is this is a threat i i could lose to this guy so i i agree with you it is nice to see people doing things differently that's why i enjoyed you know berrettini using the slice and mixing yes. things up with it with a definite tactic a bit of you know serving volley that's what i like from Sitsipas every now and again he tries to, to do things he, he throws and I, I think he's perhaps the best i've seen at throwing in the serving volley when you don't don't expect it you know your opponent's looking for a for a safe point and he says no no we're, i'm, I'm going to take advantage of that we also had the use of the Fox 10 system, yeah. and we, it was innovation in two senses. It was electronic review on clay, because we've tended to rely on the marks up to now. We've had electronic review for commentators, but not for actual uh, decisions that the umpires can use. And also it was the Fox 10 system rather than the Hawkeye system, which is just uh, slightly different in its presentation. Any views on uh, what we've learned this week? I think it's... I'm I'm all for electronic calling on, on clay now. I think the uh, the, the Goffin Nadal match in in Monte Carlo <laughs> sort of made my mind up a couple of years ago. Because they got the wrong mark. They got the wrong mark, and um, 
you know, it, it was such a big point in the match. And, and there's an argument that there is a, a sort of romance, isn't there, with, with the umpire getting out of the chair and line judges. But, you know, if you can get it right, why not? This, the nature of clay is, <laughs> I mean, it's a way of life, isn't it? No matter how much technology and science, there's always a human element to it, isn't there? And there's still a, there's still a few marks you thought, oh, that, that's, that's in, and, or, 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 or vice versa, and, and the camera hasn't quite agreed with what initially you thought. But you've got to have one or the other, haven't you? You either go yeah. by the mark in the clay, or you go by yeah. the electronic review, and that's why they've said to the umpires, you mustn't come down from the chair. Yeah, because then they start saying, well, yeah, I agree with you, that mark looks out, but it's actually Hawkeye saying, saying in, so it's one of these things, I think, if they decide, and, and it's probably going to happen eventually, players will get used to it, saying that, you know, it's the computer's not biased, it's just that's the way it calls it, could have been him, could have been me if I don't agree with it, get on with it. We have these three back-to-back -back pairs in the year, Indian Wells and Miami in the years when we have Indian Wells, we have uh, Canada, Cincinnati, and we have Madrid, Rome. They've just come through a gruelling week in Madrid, most players are already in Rome, and we get going uh, a matter of hours after uh, Madrid finishes. In fact, uh, well, it's actually been going. It's already been Madrid. started. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what are your thoughts for Rome? And is, has anything happened in Madrid that changes your view of Rome? Um, certainly. I mean, I think Nadal. He wasn't at his best, but he, he doesn't love it in Madrid. The conditions. I'm sure he loves Madrid itself. Um, one thing, if we're talking about predictions, I mean, I'm going with Berrettini to to ride to ride this wave a little bit further. Having said that, I'm also I'm picking Djokovic because he's got a, there's a love for I'm sure there's an element of for, he pulled he didn't come to Ro, to, to Madrid sorry it's going into the Lions Den it's like I don't need to do that whereas Rome is more of a home for Djokovic, it is more because it? he speaks Italian and he's yeah. got Italian manager his, manager. his communications uh, boss yeah. is uh, Italian as well speaks the language so uh, yeah I've gone for Nadal in Rome simply because I feel that Nadal will need it more yeah. because having lost uh, in Monte Carlo to Rublev and in Madrid yeah. to um, Zverev, he will just need that to make that statement in Rome. So I think he will be more up for it, and especially with the extra week between do the end of Rome and Roland Garros. Do you think Nadal looks to make statements or does he just want to win every match he plays? Uh, yeah, a bit of both. But I think actually he's aware that people are now saying, huh, Oh, be 35 at Roland Garros. I wonder if. <laughs> so I think he actually just wants to go out there and let people know. Uh, uh you know, I'm I'm not as old as you might think. You know, I'm I'm, I'm I can have a couple of rough matches and I'll still be good at Roland Garros. Yeah, he, he's certainly going to be a, a force, and I think going to Roland Garros, I'd probably unless something bizarre happens in in Rome, I'd still take him as my pick again over five sets. But I think Djokovic, for me, perhaps just one big push. I mean, he does have. Berrettini sits a pass and uh, and then team in a, in a semi-final perhaps so I mean you, well you don't win one of these without coming through <laughs> through a couple of good players do you but uh, I've got I've gone with Djokovic just to make a make a real effort put a series of matches on the board before Roland Garros well with that apart from Federer who's not coming back until Geneva a week later we've got the top players in Rome and it should be a fascinating week Thanks to Chris and Miles, and both will be back this week as part of our live coverage from the Internazionale Biennale d'Italia, the fourth ATP Masters 1000 of the year in Rome. Remember, you can find that coverage every day, starting Monday. Look out for the listen button on atptour.com or on Tennis TV, or simply search for ATP Tennis Radio 
on TuneIn. That is almost it for this week. As we've already said, attention now turns to Rome and in honour of that, we'll finish with the technical director of the increasingly successful Italian Tennis Federation. He's also Italy's Davis Cup captain and the last Italian man to reach the semi-finals at the Italian Masters. Filippo Volandri has been speaking with Richard Connolly. Could we begin with some memories of 2007, which must be still so powerful inside you, I'm sure, and particularly third round and a match with Roger Federer. You knew I was going to start there, didn't you? <laughs> uh, what, what, what comes to mind straight away? Yeah, the crowd. First of all, uh, uh, four Italian play the international uh, tournament here in Rome. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's the goal. Uh, we all work for, for that. It was a great memory in front of my public, uh, in front of my people. It's been uh, it's been amazing. Uh, the, yeah, I'm the last uh, semi-final player, uh, but I hope that some of the young guys that are growing up uh, they can beat my record. I'm sure it won't be long until something changes in that regard. Tell us about your celebration that day. That you you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to share with all the people that were in the stadium uh, my my victory for. Uh, was uh, for sure my best victory in my career, especially because it was here in Rome. And, and I wanted to share, I, had the, I gave the five to as much people as I, I can. And, uh, and it was amazing, of course. It was a big surprise result, clearly. What was the state generally of Italian men's tennis at the time? For me, it was a great memory, it was a great victory. Uh, and I want to share this kind of emotion with the guys that are helping to, to grow up now. I'm the technical uh, uh, director of the federation uh, and uh, we use the a simple, uh, simple word which is cooperation with the private teams. This uh, helped a lot and uh, that's why my, my pets can help the, the guy and they're growing up. The effect of your win then, that, that win against Roger Federer, do you think it had some kind of inspirational effect? Did it show people what was possible? Because I don't know what the mentality was at the time. Now we know that there's great success, but at the, at, in 2007? Yeah, uh, wins helped uh, to win. And uh, this kind of victory, for sure, they are in, uh, an inspiration for the, for the younger uh, players. Uh, we see now, we, every week in Italy, we, we do something good. We win a title. Uh, even Fognini, once he won uh, Monte Carlo, uh, Berrettini the next week uh, won uh, it 250, and step by step they are all growing up. Uh, I think the, the, the inspiration from the, from the top player helps a lot. You talked about cooperation as one reason, so between, presumably between tennis academies, senior tennis coaches and the federation. Um, how much hard work has gone into that and is there more to it than that? A lot. Uh, I have a big team. I'm not, I'm not alone, obviously. The Italian Tennis Federation invests a lot uh, in, the, in the technical side, in the tournaments. We have uh, almost one challenger a week, uh, almost one 15,000 a week. And it's, uh, that we are all consultant to the uh, private uh, coaches. Uh, we are all resourced. The federation gave all the resources to the private coaches, and uh, and this helps to grow up the level not only from us but from the the movement. 
and now we, we, we breathe uh, a really uh, fresh air with the cooperation with everybody. What's the goal here? What are you building towards? Beat my record for sure. <laughs> we try again this week. But we we waiting for Matteo, which uh, are the best shape player now on clay. But we have a lot of young guys. They, they we need to give them uh, time to grow up again. But we're really happy about it. There's also, of course, the ATP Finals in Turin later in the year for the first time. Does this feel like? A big, perhaps the biggest year yet for Italian men's tennis? Probably yes. We have a lot of events. We have uh, 250, we have uh, 1,000, we have the finals. Uh, we have the Davis Cup in Turin uh, after the finals. Uh, the credibility grew up a lot. Obviously, we are the highest of the, of the iceberg, but there's a lot of uh, work uh, from, the, from the bottom and uh, that's the results. I think there are nine Italian men in the top 100 at the moment, nearly 10. Um, we had 10 last week. Yes. <laughs> we, we have to work again. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, what, what are you aiming for? What are, what are the targets here? How many, how many men can be, can be contenders? As much as we can, obviously. And we have to work uh, again with the bottom. We don't have to sit on the chair. We have to still work in. Uh, there's a lot of young guys that are growing up and we have to help them uh, as much as we can. Finally, which of these great young Italian talents, or perhaps the more experienced Italian talents, is most likely to get to the semi-finals or even win this week, do you think? Uh, Matteo Berrettini is leading the team, of course, uh, after the final in a 1000 in, uh, in Madrid, obviously he can lead the, he can lead the, the team, uh, all the Italian players, they can reach the finals and we work for them. Filippo Volandri, thank you for joining us on ATP Tennis Radio. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. That is all for this week. Join us next week when we'll be looking back on what should be a glorious week in Italy's capital. See you then.